Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. I want to uh, go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 has been our text. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. This is the table part 3. Uh, we're going to conclude the series today. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. This is what we've been talking about. Your Savior, Jesus, was found all the way through the New Testament, all kinds of different places, reclining at the table. And we've been talking about the different times where Jesus did ministry. He preached, he taught, he instructed from a place at the table. And so now we're going to go to Luke chapter 22 uh, for our text today. And this story will be the backdrop uh, of our message. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. Jesus is just like throwing out all kinds of clues. He's like, go and you will find a man. A man will be walking with the jar. That is your man. That's like old school country directions. Go down to the, to the pothole, at the pothole, turn left. Anyways, follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his, Jesus and his apostles, look at this, reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. We're almost there. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They begin to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Can you imagine? You're, you're, you're sitting at a table you know, with, with some of your best friends, closest friends. You've walked together for three years. I mean, you're sitting around just uh, probably eating large steaks. And uh, I mean, just, just it, it is incredible. The food's good. The company's good. And uh, one of your buddies just kind of mentions like, man, it's, it's wild. It's been real, guys. This last three years has been incredible. Uh, when are you going to be betray me today? It's like, oh, past the potatoes? I mean, it's like, this, this is what happens is Jesus says this almost even casually, and they continue on with this dinner. The betrayer is among them, and uh, they just kind of continue uh, with, with their meal. And I want to I talk about this text. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, this is where we get the Lord's Supper. This is where uh, we share communion. We talk about this, and, and, and we do it in, the, in, in this type of context, in the church type of context. But Jesus actually did it around a table. 
He actually shared communion in the Last Supper with his disciples around a table. And it wasn't from a pulpit. It wasn't in a church. They didn't have like ready-made communion cups, you know, like we do. Like pull the first flap for juice, pull the second flap for bread. I mean, it's like we got, you know, it's all high tech now. I mean, it's just real. They're just sharing life and sharing community with one another. We've been talking about in this series is that every person is a minister. If you're a believer, then you are a minister. People say, well, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't think I'm a minister. No, when you became a Christian, you also became or received an assignment from God to be a minister. That might look different to you than what it, what it actually is because ministry doesn't mean a pulpit. Ministry doesn't mean a platform. Ministry doesn't always mean preaching. Ministry is sharing something of your life with someone else. Ministry is as easy as walking through the things that you've walked through and taking someone with you. If you've walked through depression, why don't you walk someone else through depression? What worked for you might work for them. That, my friend, is ministry. Ministry isn't as difficult as we make it seem. That's why in this series, as we conclude today, we are re-emphasizing the fact that the table in the home, the table at a restaurant, the table, the community aspect is really where ministry happens. Ministry happens around a table. I was speaking this week at uh, a camp in Florida, and, and uh, we had an incredible time, and I was talking with the, with the camp director, and, and he's uh, over a, a large group of pastors, and, and it's doing an incredible job in Florida, and uh, we're sitting around, it's like almost 1 a.m., and uh, the service has been over for hours, we're sitting around a table, and he goes, you know what, my favorite part of camp my favorite part of bringing speakers in is I love the service and I love what God does. He said, but you know what I really love? He says, I love the fellowship that happens afterwards. He said, this right here is like what I live for. I was like falling asleep. I'm like, yeah, me too, man. Me too. But for, for real, life, it happens in those moments where there's shared experiences. We've been talking about ministry as a couple things, and I want to give you these things as context uh, if you've missed some of the other messages. But ministry in our church, Church 1132, ministry is who we are, not where we are. It is not about a location. It's about identity. It's not about me being in the church building. It is me knowing who I am in Christ and knowing that I have something to offer someone else. Ministry is an overflow, not an outflow. This is super important because many people, their, their ministry life is something they turn on and off. I gotta force myself to minister. I gotta force myself to minister. I gotta force. Ministry should be an overflow of what God's already doing in you. If God's not doing anything in you, if you haven't ever walked through anything, then you need to focus right inside here and walk through a couple things. And then as soon as, you, it doesn't take much, as soon as you walk through just a little bit, now you have the ability, the power, the influence, the authority to walk someone else through it. Ministry is a command, not an option. This is, this, this is what is convicting in some ways because in, in Jesus' last words, he says, go and preach the gospel. We're like, yeah, pastor, preach it. Come on, get that word. But he wasn't talking to pastors. It, it, it was a commission that was given to us. And this is not about you standing up in the lunchroom at work and preaching the gospel. This is about you sharing your life. 
This is about us not being stingy with what God has given us, but the same comfort that we've been comforted with, now we comfort others. Where God has blessed us, now we in turn bless others. The whole crux of the gospel is about abandoning our lives and really picking up his. It is abandoning our lives for the sake of his life. Tables in, 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 in the Bible and really now, they, they were used for fellowship. They were used for teaching. They were used for correction. Jesus would correct people at the table. He, he, I mean, that, that, is the, that is the place that he would just kind of break things down. It wasn't always stand in front of people. And I'll just tell you, the Pope is not the best place to correct people anyways. People take it a little bit easier when you love them, you stand beside them, and you can connect personally. The table was used for evangelism. Jesus was with sinners. He was with saints. Jesus was with the rich, and he was with the poor. Jesus was with the influential, and Jesus was with the marginalized. Jesus did not have, did had no respecter of tables. He just said, I'm going to share this life. And for three and a half years, as he walked the face of the earth, he shared what he had. He's, he's there in the, the, it's the Last Supper. And Jesus, I mean, these, this is why he came, right? In our text, Luke chapter 22, this is why he's here. And, and, and he's got his game face on. I mean, he, he is serious right now. It's interesting, in, in influential moments, if you think about just like amazing moments of your life, you want the people that mean the most to you to be there. I, I remember when we had uh, Jude, and uh, Jude, you know, it's like our, we'd been married for a little while, hadn't had kids, everyone was super excited for us to have kids, we finally did, and uh, so Jude was born, and when, when Jude was born, I mean, we had like half our leadership team, I mean, we might have had 60 people in the hospital, and uh, I couldn't wait to show them off, it was because I wanted to share him with the people that I loved. I wanted people that were close to me to be able to share in the moment. That's where Jesus was. That morning, theologians tell us, that morning he preached to the crowd, but that night he sat with the disciples. Whenever you're walking through hard times in your life or joyous times in your life, you want people that really love you to be close to you. That's the people that you want right there. So when Jesus sat down with the disciples, he sat down with his core. He sat down with the people that, 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 that really mattered to him. I, I, I got a confession to make. Is I, I, love, I love watching sports. All right. Like, I really enjoy it. And I enjoy it a lot, especially football. And, and, and I have a problem when I watch football because I don't like watching with fair weather fans. You know, like they score a touchdown, and like, is that a goal? And it's like, like get, get out of the house right now. Get out of the house. You can see yourself out. Like, go. I mean, it's just, I, I can't do that. I, I mean, they're, they're like, Michael Jordan still plays, right? It's like, out, out, get out. Like, it's, it's just, it's not right. I can't do it. This is my leisure activity. I want to enjoy it with people that really understand it, that really get it. And to, now some of y'all are going to be insecure about coming over and watching the game, but um, you'll know what I'm thinking in the back of my mind get uh, specifically when I watch the teams that I love in the NFL specifically when it's playoff time I'm just going to tell you I don't even need someone in the room that's cheering for the other team 
Okay, like a lot of y'all like, let's get a group together. Let's all watch. Let's all like oppose each other. I'm like, no, no, no. This, is, this might be super unspiritual and this might really offend you, but I'm superstitious. <laughs> and whatever I wore the last week when I watched the game and where I sat is the exact place I'll sit and exactly what I'll wear and exactly what I'll eat. You can call it what you want, but I'm also spiritual because I pray too. Okay, so I got both sides covered. And if God doesn't answer prayers about sports, then I'm trying, you know. And if he does, I'm putting it out there. But the people I want to share the greatest moments with are the people that are for what I'm for. That's what, that's what I want to share it with. Now I want to brag to everybody else later. Like I want to stick it in their face after we win, but I don't want to be in that moment in my own house when we lose and they're sticking in my, like just can't happen in my own place, you know. I want to celebrate with people that are for the things I'm for. So Jesus pulls together now the people that are for him, the people that are close to him, the people that he's invested in. I remember years ago we had a, uh, a, a lady on our youth staff, um, this is in the beginning of our ministry, that passed away suddenly. And she was 33, and, and, uh, and it just we didn't know why. It was, it was a real weird situation, and, and uh, she was loved on, in our youth ministry and loved in our youth staff. And uh, I remember uh, when we got the word that, that she's, you know, is, is bad news. We need to get to the hospital immediately. And we got in the car, and Jamie and I jumped in the car. We were praying. We are believing God that no matter what happens, we're going to see a miracle. I mean, we had, I'm telling you, faith to believe. And when I walked in that hospital, they told us that she passed away and uh, I had full faith like we're gonna we're gonna raise her up like uh, I'm just gonna tell you I got faith for that kind of stuff I, I, I don't know how it all works but I want you to know that if Jesus did it he said greater things than these shall you also do so if he said it I'm gonna believe it I'm if you got somebody dying in your house I'm the guy you want because I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna try to raise them up like I, I'm, I'm believing we're gonna see it because this is what Jesus did and so we walk in that hospital. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I didn't want anybody that wasn't believing anywhere near us. I don't want anybody that was already playing the field. I didn't want you near. We kicked people out of the room. And we went in there, including the doctor. Said, you got to go, bro. You, like, you got to get out. We, we prayed in that room. We believed God. And in that moment, our hearts were breaking. We were full of faith. And you know what I want you, I want you to know? We wanted people that believed like we believed. See, that, that is just, it's, it's one of those things that, that even Jesus, when he raised the little girl from the dead in the, in the Bible, he said the people were laughing at him because he said she's not dead, she's asleep. They were laughing at him. They were ridiculing him. And Jesus said, you got to go. You got to go. Hit, hit, hit the road. Because he needed people that had like faith and believed. And so here's Jesus. He's, he's sitting here. Uh, he, 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 he is with his core group of people. There's a, there's a principle in, in, in church ministry and ch- church life that there's, there's all kinds of different levels of commitment. And, and, and one of the, some of the ones that we talk about is there's the crowd. This is the crowd, the people that come, the people that attend. This is the crowd. And then there's the committed. It's that we don't just come, but now this is a deeper level. We're, we're like in. We're committed. And then there's the core. And every circle gets smaller and smaller. And the core is like the inner circle. They're, they are the builders. They're the stakeholders. They're the pillars. They're the ones that are serving. They're the ones that are giving. They're, they're just, they are in. For Jesus, his disciples were his core. He spoke to the crowd. He spoke to the committed. But he lived life with the core. 
And this is what really messed me up this week. It's because I know about how important it is for people to believe what you believe, for people to have faith with what you believe. And Jesus is sitting at the table, and theologians tell us that, that all, all the disciples were there. If you read about it, all the disciples were there. Peter was there. Andrew was there, Peter's brother. Andrew was the one that introduced Peter to Jesus. And then you never hear about Andrew again. It's like, he's like, hey, Peter, come on. I gotta meet, you got to meet this guy. Peter's like, thank you. I'll take it from here. And then it's like Peter all over the rest of the New Testament. James and John were there. They were called the sons of thunder. John called himself the one whom Jesus loved. So we don't know how accurate that is. It's just we know he, like, gave that title to himself. It's like uh, when he even wrote about it in his own gospel, he would say, the, the one that Jesus loved. He's like, he was trying to be humble. That's called a humble brag. He was trying to be humble, but he's like, also, it is, you know who I am. The one that Jesus loved. Philip was there. He was one of the first disciples of Jesus. Nathaniel was there after a radical encounter with Jesus where Jesus actually gave him a word of knowledge. He read his mail. He said, I saw you sitting down by the palm tree before you ever came here. Nathaniel's like, how do you, how do you know that? I'm in. Never mind. Don't even answer. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Matthew, the tax collector, was there. James, the less, was there. You know why they call him James the less? Because there was two James. And the one you hear about all the time, and the other one you don't. So he's James the less. How do you like that title? It's like, oh, there's another Dustin in the world? Yeah, you're Dustin the less. Great. Love you too. T Thomas the doubter was there. So, you ever felt defined by one bad decision? It's like all of history calls Thomas a doubter because of one bad day. It's like, that's that rough. Simon, the zealot, was there. Thaddeus was there. Some of y'all don't even know about Thaddeus. Thaddeus was there. And this is what just really locked me up. Judas was there. Wait. The most important meal of Jesus' life and ministry. And Judas was there? Some theologians believe that he was sitting at the left hand of Jesus. It wasn't he was at a distance. He was right there. Maybe Jesus understood, keep your enemies close. <laughs> like, like he's, he's right there. He, he's sitting right there. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. Jesus knew that he would be betrayed by Judas, yet he still invited him to dinner. Jesus is the greatest picture of ministry. He is the greatest example of ministry that we could ever have. He is what we should mimic. He is what we should mirror. He is who we should follow. And Jesus invited his core. And even in his core, he included an enemy. That's why I'm calling this last message in this series, not just the table. I'm calling this enemy at the table. What do you do when you got an enemy at the table? What do, you got to, what do you do when there's people in your circle that don't love you like you love them? What do you do when you pour out your heart for someone and they turn your, their back on you? What do you do when you lay down your life for someone and they take it for granted? What do you do when you're generous to someone again and again and again and they still have their hand out expecting more? What do you do? I'll tell you what our culture will tell you. Our culture will tell you cut them off. Our culture will tell you, have some boundaries. Our do you know there's a difference between boundaries and walls? What I've found is that a lot of believers like to say boundaries, but what they really want to do is they want to build a wall against someone. And now they've now titled their wall a boundary so that it can be accepted in Christian culture. But Jesus built never built walls. He only established boundaries. Jesus would withdraw and pray, but he never walked in unforgiveness. 
He never cut people out. Even people that he knew would stab him in the back. Judas is sitting there at dinner eating with Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, man, that steak is amazing. One of y'all going to betray me today. And Judas is like, he knows? I mean, he had to be like, wait, who told? Like, this is not good. And then Jesus like, pass the potatoes, keeps on eating. And, and, and Judas is like, oh, man, oh, boy, he knows. But what a picture of the confidence the compassion, and really just the downright boldness of Jesus to say, your issue is not going to keep me from ministering to you. Your hatred, your weak-willed life and weak-willed, you're not going to, your weakness is not going to keep me from reaching to you. I want to believe that Jesus still believed that there was a chance for Judas. I want to believe that he still believed that Judas had an opportunity, that there was grace for him, that was extending to him and reaching to him. Why did Jesus let an enemy at the table? I mean, we talk all the time about how to keep enemies out. How to not let enemies in your heart, not let enemies ruin you and rob you. We talk, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we think the enemy is like our neighbor and all the people that we don't like. And Jesus is like, yeah, I knew Judas was going to betray me. And I invited him to dinner. What do you think the other disciples would have done if they knew? Like, oh, this, this fool ain't coming up here. Like, oh, no. Peter probably would have been like, oh, no. No, you didn't, Judas. I cut your, I cut you, I cut your ear off. That's what he was good at. And then, like two days later, two hours later, Peter's like, yeah, I, "I don't even know Jesus." It's like he would have been the guy that would have been mad at Judas, but then he would have been the guy that did the same thing. In fact, actually, he did. You see, he actually betrayed Jesus as well. Jesus is the perfect picture of ministry. So, what he does with his life then we have to try to mirror his behavior, his values, the people he included, the things that he did, the things that he said. And so I want to pivot just for a moment. I want to talk to you again like we've been doing in this series. I want to talk to you as leaders, and I want to tell you what a minister actually lives like. Jesus gave us this example, and I think a couple things that we can pull from this is that a minister should have a heart that is moved by compassion. This was a staple of Jesus' ministry, is that he had a heart that was moved with compassion. Not forced, not stirred up, not tried to get in the right mood and attitude. No, he was moved, which means that people's needs affected him. The, the, the needs of people moved Jesus. And when he saw a need, he didn't judge, he didn't criticize. He was moved towards it. You know, it's, 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 it's one thing to be frustrated with something. It's another thing to be moved by something. Sometimes we're so frustrated with need, we're, we're, we, we all of a sudden are moved to take care of it. But Jesus was never frustrated to action. He was always moved to action. And the foundation of his movement came out of a heart of compassion. Jesus loves people. He always has. He always will. He is not threatened by dysfunction. He is not threatened by things that would disqualify us. He is not threatened by our issues. He loves. And multiple times in scripture, we find him being moved with compassion. A minister should have a heart that is moved by compassion. 
to, to, to minister effectively to people, that means you have to be moved by their needs. Do you know the longer you minister sometimes, the more calloused you become to the needs of people around you? When you first get saved, it's like, how can I help? I want to save everyone. I want to help everyone. I want to give everything away. And then once you've kind of like been in the system for a while, and you recognize that there are people out there trying to take advantage of you, there's people that love Jesus but don't really show it, there's people that don't live like he does. You know what happens is we get calloused. We choose sides. We pick political parties. We pick groups. We pick denominations. We pick, look at all this division. That they, but a minister like Jesus, Jesus was in every social status. Jesus was in every group. Jesus, everywhere, he just invaded every circle. And all of a sudden, he's with the rich guys, hanging out at dinner. All of a sudden, he's down in the dirt with the adulteress. All of a sudden, he's all over the place. He did not let cultural boundaries keep him from seeing community needs. And we have to be careful that just because someone doesn't believe like us or someone doesn't have our best interests in mind, that it doesn't keep us from reaching to them or loving them because Jesus knew Judas would sit down right next to him, and yet he still invited him. This is Jesus' meal. This is Jesus' game time moment and yet he still invites him. A heart that moves, is moved by compassion. A heart that refuses to be offended. I'm going to tell you right now, I would have a difficult time if I knew someone came to my house, sat at my table with the full intention of betraying me. I'm just going to tell you, I would have a fleshly moment where I would just really have some difficulty in operating in the love of Jesus. But Jesus is there at the table. He knows that Judas is going to betray him, and yet he can eat, he can have conversation. I'll be sitting over there just seething, you know, just like, like just holding my steak knife with both hands. You know, just like, Judas, try me. I mean, but Jesus is just, that's how unoffendable he was. People said things about him. People said things to him. People planned attacks against him, tried to trick him, but yet he still loved to be a minister, an effective minister, you have to decide right now that you have to be unoffendable. That you will be unoffendable. Did you know it is a choice to pick up an offense? It's a choice to pick it up, and it's a choice to lay it down. And I know it's difficult, and at times it feels like it's impossible because it feels like that offense just attached itself to you. But we actually have the choice to lay it down or to pick it up. And Jesus walked through life unoffendable. He refused to be offended. A heart that is constantly forgiving. A heart that refuses to be offended and a heart that is constantly forgiving. I, I say constantly because forgiveness, I like to think it's just a one-time thing. I forgive you. But the truth is forgiveness has to happen over and over and over again. Forgiveness is not attained in a moment, in a choice, in one word. It is attained over time. As every time that thought comes in your mind, you forgive them. Every time that memory comes in your heart, you forgive them. Every time you start to put up a wall where you should be open, you forgive them. Jesus was unoffendable, but it wasn't just that he didn't get offended. He also forgave the offender. See, this is the next level ministry. This is next level ministry. Many of you, you can say, okay, I'm not going to get offended by that. But can you drop it? 
can you let it go? Jesus proved this even as he hung on the cross. The thief that was hanging next to him, he begins, one is taunting him. The other one asks for forgiveness, and Jesus forgives him as they're hanging there. Jesus was unoffendable, but he didn't leave it there. He came after the offender to make sure that they knew that they were forgiven. See, that's what a real minister does. Not a pastor, not a preacher. What a minister, what a Christian does. This is is really the code of conduct for a believer. A heart of compassion. I'm unoffendable and I'm constantly forgiving. I'm choosing to forgive. I'm I'm choosing to forgive. I'm going to tell you, we've been in ministry a long time. and There's all kinds of opportunities for us to forgive. The longer you minister, the more opportunities you have to bless people that have hurt you, to bless people that are persecuting you, to bless people that are saying things about you. I was scrolling through social media this morning. I said, thank you, Lord, I'm choosing to forgive. I'm choosing to forgive. I'm just going to jump over that. I'm choosing to forgive. Every day you have opportunity to choose. This is what Jesus did. He's sitting there at the Last Supper, his game time moment. And I'll tell you what I would have done. I would say, don't invite Judas. I know what he's going to do. I just want the people that I love. But this is the truth about how Jesus ministered is he actually loved Judas. As crazy, we love to hate Judas. Right? He's, he's the villain. Oh, man, Judas. All of us, if we're honest, have some Judas in us. That, that's, just, that's just the truth is that each of us carry in us a little bit of betrayal. I know that most of the times we are betrayed, but all of us deep in the deep parts of our heart, all of us have a little betrayer in us as well. And I want to tell you something today, that Jesus loves the betrayed and he loves the betrayer. That Jesus loved those who are betraying and Jesus loved those who are being betrayed. Wherever you are today, whatever situation you find yourself in, Jesus loves you. He sees you. He cares about you. He's moved with compassion towards you. And whether you find yourself as a Judas or you find yourself being betrayed, God sees you right where you are and and, and and he loves you still. See, this is what I see for our churches, is if we had a church of ministers, we'd have a church that's unoffendable. We'd have a church that's walking in forgiveness. We'd have a church that is moved by compassion, not by just our own needs, not by just what we need, not just what our church does, but we would have a heart for the kingdom of God. We'd have a heart for other churches and other places, other ministries, other cities, that we would be moved by the need of people. That's what Jesus was. That's what he did. And that's what he really requires from us to be a people that are resolute, to be a people that have game face like Jesus had a game face that says we are going to do what we're called to do. We're going to do what God has put in our heart to do. We will not be offended. We will walk in forgiveness. And we will still be sensitive to the needs of people. After so many times getting hurt, what happens in life is that you lose your sensitivity. You get callous. Did you know that, that once, what once caused a blister, if the friction continues, it will cause a callous? See, some of us, we've been hurt so many times, or we've been burnt so many times, that we don't feel it anymore. It's just callous. I don't, we don't even see the needs. 
you don't even see the needs. It, it was years ago. It's kind of a silly example, but it was years ago, I was, I, there, was a, there was a guy in our city in, in Washington that he always stood beside the freeway asking for money. And so, if, I mean, almost every single day, I would see this guy out there asking for money, and I would drive by, and, and so you, you know what us Christians do. It's like, well, I don't, you know, don't want to give him drug money, and uh, you know, I don't want to support his habit. It's like I'm helping him by not giving things to him. And, and so I would just drive by, but after a while, I didn't even see him anymore because it was just kind of like a permanent fixture on the corner there. He was always there. I didn't even see him. I'd just drive by. I mean, maybe years. Didn't even see him. And, and one day, the Holy Spirit started speaking to me. He said, Dustin, it's interesting that you can't see someone that's always there. The Lord was trying to tell, teach me something bigger than this, but he challenged me, and I, I'm like, I don't like just like burning money, okay? So I was just like, I don't want to give, God, I don't know what he's going to do. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to give him money. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know if that's right. Did you know that it's not our job to decide what happens with what we give? It's our job to give it. See, the job of the minister is not to decide what happens when the words come out of my mouth. I've just got to be obedient to release them. It is not your job to decide what happens with the love that you extend. It's your job to extend it. It is not your job to decide what happens if you put yourself out there. It is your job to put yourself out there. Jesus was the greatest example and he laid down his life. And he said it's for us to lay down ours as well. This is the picture of ministry. This is the picture of the minister that I'm not here for me. I'm not here for my interest. I'm not here for my comfort. I am willing to, to, to lay myself down. I'm willing to bring people around the table that even are different than me. I'm willing to bring people around the table that don't think like I think. Or even don't have good intentions. Well, it's one thing for them to come to church, but my goodness, Pastor, they're not coming to my house. Maybe that's where our perspectives need to be adjusted. That where there should be boundaries, we've made walls. And to protect ourselves, we've built these walls. It's wild. We think that sometimes the antidote to betrayal, someone betraying us or hurting us, is, is isolation. If I could just get away, if I could just get distance, if I could get distance, if I can get a restraining order. I, I'm going to tell you this. The antidote to betrayal isn't isolation. It's perseverance. It, it's not getting away. It's getting through. And you can decide in this room today to be stuck at a place of offense or stuck at a place of unforgiveness. But around the table, it needs to be a place where there is forgiveness and where there is love and where there is true ministry that takes place. And you exemplify it first in your home, right around your family, that it can be a safe place, that it is a place where there is not offenses, that it is a place where there is forgiveness, where there is grace. You can practice the ministry of Jesus right with your own family right in your own home and then it begins to extend I want to say this before we close today Judas he, but he went on and betrayed Jesus Jesus knew he was going to and he went and he betrayed him then Judas overcome with guilt the Bible tells us he went out and hung himself he couldn't believe that he had betrayed someone that had loved him so much he couldn't believe what he'd done. And the shame and the guilt, it wasn't the rope that killed him. 
It was the shame and the guilt. Peter, our boy Peter, he actually betrayed Jesus too. He actually three times denied that he even knew him. I don't even know who you're talking about, Jesus. The Bible says he started to swear. He's swearing, I never knew him. I don't know what you're talking about. Even though they knew that he... The difference between Peter and Judas is isolation and perseverance. Judas isolated, the shame and the guilt killed him. Peter persevered, persevered. And when Jesus rose from the dead, one of the gospel accounts, I love this, says, make sure you go get Peter. Because I know Peter stuck around. I know he had some perseverance in him. I know he did some bad things. But you go make sure you tell Peter. You tell Peter that I still love him. You tell Peter that I'm still here for him. That's the love of Jesus, friend. Don't kill your comeback by giving in to shame and guilt. Don't kill your comeback by giving in to isolation. We've got to establish a table in the house of God. We've got to establish tables in our homes that are true to who we are. That we would minister like Jesus. And we would allow Jesus to minister to us. Whether you've been betrayed or whether you are the betrayer your comeback it will happen if you can persevere we say around here if you don't quit you win and that is the truth friend if you can stick it out if you can stand up if you can make it through the storm I know that the storm will end the Bible says weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning if you can weather the storm the storm will end I've never seen a storm last I've never seen a night hang on uh, the sun always comes and the storm always fades my heart that our tables in our homes and in our churches would not just be for all the fans but it would be tables that would be like Jesus' table it says yeah you might be marginalized or you might be at a distance you might not believe like me you might think different from me you might worship different from me you might believe theologically different than me but at this table, we can still have relationship. I think the depth of maturity in a minister is equal to the relationship that they can have with people that don't believe like they believe. You know, it's really easy for me to talk football with other Seahawk fans. Super easy. I can prove all my points. We will win the Super Bowl this year. They all agree. It's so amazing. I'm like, y'all, you're my disciples. You're my core. Let's roll. Like, but when I'm like with mixed fans, they don't agree. They like think that their team's going to win. It's really annoying. Isn't that how we are in our Christianity? Oh, yeah. Everybody that worships like us. Ah, yeah. That's awesome. I like that music loud. Ah, get those lights going. Ah, I, like, I like it. And then the people that don't are like, are you guys really Christians? Like, we like it this way. Do you ever think that relationship is bigger than a style? Do you ever think that relationship is bigger than a preference? See, that's, that's the maturity of a minister, where it goes from, that's not really my type, to, 
I'm moved by the needs of others. If it's ministering to someone, I actually talked to a man uh, at one of our, in, in our Wiley campus, and he, and he said, Pastor, I want you to know something. I want you to know the reason I'm coming to this church. I said, okay. And um, he says, the preaching? He said, no. It's all right. You can still come to the table. It's all right. He, he, said, uh, he said, it's because your church tailors to, believes in, and ministers to the next generation. And he said, I've got five kids. And he said, I'm going to be real honest with you. Your church is not my style. But my kids love Jesus more today than they did when we started coming. He said, so I'm not going anywhere. What that is, is the maturity of a minister that says someone's needs are getting ministered to. So I'm going to overcome preference so that makes sure that ministry happens. And that's what God's doing in our church. That's what God's doing in our community is it's mature men and women of God are standing up and recognizing that it's not about our preference. It's about the cause of Christ. And if it causes it to go forward, I'm in. God, use me. I'll be unoffendable. I'll be full of forgiveness. I will be moved by the needs of other people. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.